Welcome to NCT Answers, a podcast from In-Depth Studies that examines theological issues from a New Covenant theology perspective. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Oker. Today's question is, what was the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers in the Old Testament? I would say that this is probably one of the most common questions I get asked uh, if I'm traveling and taking questions, speaking, that's it. Is, um, or sometimes uh, if questioned, that is part of that is how are believers saved in the Old Testament? And I think on one hand, the, uh, there's a number of factors that need to be discussed, but the biggest one, so let's just start there, is that the Old Testament is not the time for believing. Mm. So and this is what it seems. It seems as though that, that, that when the Holy Spirit guided the authors of Scripture to record Scripture, however that all came about, and we know that whatever ended up down on the parchments, the paper, was word for word what God wanted. He controlled all of that. But it's, we, would, we would then say that the Holy Spirit was not concerned to tell us how to become a believer, the marks of a believer, how to grow in the Christian life. That kind of information is not what the Old Testament is all about. There's not a lot of evangelism in the Old Testament. No, no, because in which, remember the bulk of our Old Testament is all about Israel. Right. And Israel is a temporary, unbelieving picture of the people of God. So there's no great commission in the, in the Old Testament because to find the people of God, you just had to get a GPS and find Israel. And then to die, you found them. And, and of course, because they're only an unbelieving picture of the people of God. So... This this phenomena phenomenon, I guess we would say, of becoming a believer is historically something limited to really Pentecost onward in the New Covenant era. This is the time for believing, which this is the time for the Great Commission, because God has His those whom He's chosen to save from every tribe, nation, and tongue. These are the ones for whom Jesus died on the cross. He has his people scattered all over the world. So the Great Commission, the Holy Spirit, is now in Acts 1.8. When he's, it says there, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, to the apostles, you'll be my witnesses to Jude, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because now the Holy Spirit is motivating believers to take the gospel all over the world because God has his elect scattered all over the world. Okay, But this was not something that existed uh, before in the Old Testament. This didn't exist this way. So I think first we need to kind of drink the Kool-Aid on that one. Uh, that's very important. And that, so that explains why those fo- the few folks that are clearly believers to us, let's say we think of Job, we think of Abraham, we think of David, Moses, those kind of guys, prophets, how did they become a believer? Well, it's, we don't know. We don't know. We know that they had to believe a gospel message, but a gospel message in the Old Testament is a little different than what we have now. It's quite clear. You, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in Him alone to save, save us from our sins and follow Him as Lord. Okay, that's a very clear gospel message from 
Pentecost onward. But that's not there. So, example, in Genesis 15, where it says Abraham believed God, and meaning God promised to give him an heir, because he had no children, and Abraham believed God, it says it was credited to him as righteousness. Whoa. Well, from our point of view, that doesn't sound so good. I mean, he just believed a promise. But that was equivalent to, in Old Testament lingo, saving faith. Mm. Okay? And we would have to say that. Would we, would we look at, when we look at Romans, you know, here in the New, New Covenant era, yeah. New Testament, we look at Romans and it talks about no one can believe, no, not one, we're all, you know, guilty and we, mm-hmm. we don't want to believe and all that. Um, wouldn't that be the same with, with the people in, in Abraham's time? Of course. So that for him to, to be able to believe, something else had to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it all is based on, of course, Adam's sin in the garden, and we're all blamed for Adam's sin. As a result of Adam's sin, we come into the world with a bad heart. Mm-hmm. We're God-haters. We will never want to come to Christ on our own. We're a slave to sin. Well, that's all true. Um, but then, so now part of that discussion dovetails into the purpose of our discussion today on this podcast, and that is our the indwelling of the Holy Spirit right. in the life. Does the Holy Spirit indwell the believer in the Old Testament? That's what it's all about. Right. And my answer is, of course. <laughs> I know that that runs counter to a lot of stuff today. But let's just explain it. First, we'll go to Hebrews ten fourteen, where this is the place, especially this chapter 10, the, the climactic chapter of a discussion about the cross in the book of Hebrews, from chapters 7 to 10. So 10.14 says, For by one sacrifice, of course is talking about Jesus and his death on the cross, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the two things that we get through the death of Christ on the cross is a perfect payment for sin, which enables us to be unconditionally accepted, and a radical work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those for whom Jesus died that will cause us to be God-lovers, to believe the gospel, and live for him, bear fruit, persevere, things like that. Okay, well, now, in the New Testament, this is, you know, especially after Pentecost, this is a no-brainer. Everybody understands how this all works. Mm -hmm. But now, we go talk about the Old Testament. Is this true in the Old Testament? My answer is yes, but we have to understand that, as we just talked about previously, the uh, the choice of language, the choice of subjects to talk about in the Old Testament was not made for the purpose of telling us about how to become a believer. Hmm. Because that historically was not the time for being a believer. But let's just talk about a couple of examples. Uh, David. David is called a man after, in first. Samuel 13, and many other places, a man after God's own heart. Okay, that means he was a God lover. Well, and of course we see Psalm 119 that he wrote, and he says, oh, how I love your law, because he loves the God who gave the law. I mean, that's not rocket science. We understand that. But the, but the, but the only way he can be a God lover is if the Spirit of God is causing him to be a God lover, because nobody... By you know no, it's in Romans three. No one seeks after God. No, not right. one. No one does anything good. No, not one. Well, if David now is living for the Lord, well, he can only do that by the work of the Holy Spirit. So we are 
legitimately reading into the old when it comes to those who are real believers, mm. we are presupposing this is what they're experiencing. Right. You know, Jesus died for them, you know, uh, even though his death came later, uh, but his death was applied to them, you know, before the fact. And they, you know, their, their sins were paid for and they were given the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, so let, let's take an example. Uh, let's talk about Saul, king, first king of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 10, when Saul was made king, there is this statement about how, actually, it, it, it's really right before Saul is formally declared to be king. And this is after Samuel anointed him, that he was going to be king. It says this, um, instructions were given to Saul and to, uh, as to, well, let me just read it. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Of course, this is instructions to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever in your hand finds you to do. Well, he was changed. Now, that the change has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, in Saul's life, we find no evidence at any point that he wants to live for the Lord. The fact is, at every point, he doesn't. He makes evil choices at every key point in his life, and he dies by committing suicide, falling on his own sword. I mean, this is pretty dismal. This is not a man after God's own heart. Okay, but it does say later on in his life that the Holy Spirit departed from him. And so we have to ask the question, in what sense did the Holy Spirit depart from him? Hmm. And we would say, well, in a sense, God equipped him to be king, and then he departed from him. Hmm. For whatever reason, I'm thinking of Pharaoh, where it talks about God and the Spirit or whatever causes Pharaoh to do certain things. Yes. Which not really against his will, but make sure that he, you know, that ultimately he does what he's supposed to do, which is say no to Moses <laughs> yes. and get harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so in a, what we're really saying is, then, is that the spirit is at work, but it doesn't always mean it's salvation. No, no, no. See, especially with Israel, the uh, Israel is this picture mm-hmm. of what of something to come. Right. Okay. So it's and so the. The persons of the Trinity, of course, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about God's plan. Now, he does transform all those for whom Jesus died. We got that, the work of the Holy Spirit. But, example, in Exodus 35, you have uh, the instructions, uh, you have the discussion about the building, the intricate parts of the tabernacle. Okay? It's verse 30 says this, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills 
to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. Okay, so these are, the, these, are these two guys, and then he talks about he's also given that same stuff ability to Ohiliab, the son of Ahisamach. Okay, but the point in reading this is, is that there is no way of knowing whether Bezalel or Ohiliab were believers. That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit just supernaturally equipped them to build the intricate parts of the tabernacle. And because this is, they're just a picture. Just a picture. So the Holy Spirit, you know, is at work in unbelievers, but not in a saving way mm-hmm. in this context. So where that leads us is to say that when we read the Old Testament, and where it is clear a person is a believer, because it's not always clear, but where it is clear, particularly when the New Testament confirms that they are, mm-hmm. that they did experience this uh, forgiveness of sins and the, and this transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because remember, David is called a man after God's own heart. That can only take place by the work of the Holy Spirit uh, Abraham in James chapter 2 is called a friend of God. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't be a friend of God if you're not a God lover, and you can't be a God lover if the Holy Spirit doesn't create that in you. So in this, when we talk about the what takes place in the, in the uh, lives of believers in the Old Testament, we are reading into that some truths from the New as we're reading the Old, which mm-hmm. we do with regard to salvation, which, which I think we must. Yeah. But once we've said that, let's just sort of close on this note. So the forgiveness of sins and the work of the Spirit creating the new heart, the changed life, that is common to all believers, no matter when you lived. But are there some things that are unique as far as the working of the Holy Spirit to this side of Pentecost? Mm. And I would say yes. Well, let's itemize some of those. One is the fullness of revelation. All the rest of, you know, especially because the, the, you know, the teaching passages of the New Covenant era from Romans onward, well, this tells us what the gospel, Mm -hmm. detail, how to believe, what happens when you believe, how to live for Christ, how to deal with problems, does everything. Okay, well, boy... Job could have used that, <laughs> could have used Romans 8.28 yeah. at that point, but he did not have it. So the, the Holy Spirit provides the rest of Scripture. Also, the Holy Spirit's saving a, a, a family of believers. So we're told that we have local churches, local families of believers, and they're there to encourage believers. Well, David didn't have that benefit in Israel. The counselors around him mostly were all unbelievers, mm-hmm. mostly, and so we as believers have the benefits of having this encouragement to be around other real believers who have, who've also had their hearts transformed. Well, that's just terribly, that really helps us in our growth in Christ. And so that's, but that's unique to this side of Pentecost. Also, spiritual gifts. Because what we saw in Exodus 35, Bezalel and Ahiliab were gifted by the Holy Spirit to build the intricate parts of a physical building, the tabernacle, we are now given spiritual gifts to build a spiritual house, a family of believers, build up one another in the faith. So, but the gifts of the Spirit are unique to this side of Pentecost, mm-hmm. to the time of fulfillment, the new covenant era. Also, um, 
Motivation for evangelism. Mm. Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. Okay, well that's unique to this side of Pentecost. Because now the time of the picture is over. Israel is a physical picture of the people of God as a physical nation is done. Now we're collecting up the real people of God, a spiritual Israel from every tribe, nation, tongue. So motivation for evangelism to take the gospel out. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are unique to this side of Pentecost. But the very basic of what Jesus purchased, forgiveness of sins and a new heart, well, no, that's not unique. Because in Romans 4, it describes David as having his sins forgiven, the blessedness of having his sins forgiven. And, of course, we talked about he's called a man after God's own heart. So all of these things at least lead me to the conclusion that, no, that if you're talking about, if you're defining the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as this work of the Holy Spirit making you Christ-like, well, no, that exists in all believers at all times. What would you, uh, and this is kind of a vague question, but those who would hold a differing view, especially today, because there have been a number of books that have come out over the last 10 years, let's say, dealing with Holy Spirit, uh, those who, are, who would take a differing view of how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of believers or what have you in the Old Testament, what would their positions be? Well, you have sort of the classic, the one you most often hear about is the dispensational view. Okay. It comes from the dispensational camp is that the Holy Spirit has come sort of temporarily upon or outwardly, but not indwelling. Well, that whole concept. But, we, but there's a sense of truth that we, when we read about Israel in the Old Testament, we do hear about the Holy Spirit coming on somebody mm-hmm. and then sort of gone. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit, his role is to create this picture of the people of God. And so he does come upon things and then leaves. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about real believers, let's say like a David or Abraham, Mm -hmm. then they had new hearts and they uh, were obviously in love with God. And we would say you cannot be that way apart from the transforming work of the Spirit of God. Or to use the phrase that's used today, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Of course you are. Right. Now I we know. do... I'm sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. Go on, go on. No, go ahead. No, I, I do think we do have to ask the question. Um, it does seem as though this side of Pentecost, the amount of growth in the Lord is greater than, than believers who existed before. Why is that so? Well, I think it's so because of the tools for growth that are available to believers this side of Pentecost. We've already itemized a number of things that were unique to believers this side of Pentecost, then were to believers on you know before Pentecost. And the classic illustration is, you know, the movie uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks. He's he's in the FedEx plane, so let's assume he becomes a believer. He reads the Bible on the plane, come becomes a believer. Plane crashes, everybody's gone, the Bible's burned up, he's there on the island with Wilson the volleyball. And he's a new believer. How fast do you think he's going to grow? He's got no Bible, he's got no believers. Well, that's probably going to, he's, he's going to be a God lover, but he's going to be ignorant. Uh, and because the tools for growth, he doesn't have them there. Well, that's, in many ways, that's describing believers in the Old Testament. I mean, Abraham had far less information than David. Mm -hmm. 
Job had far less information than either of them. Mm-hmm. So that's so. It explains why now, with the coming of Pentecost and the new covenant era, we have these other aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit that guarantee, you know, greater growth in Christ because we have more tools for growth. Right. Right. Well, I'm two, two two kind of sidebars to that. One is if you are a real believer, meaning your your sins have been forgiven and God has given you this new heart. His Holy Spirit in your in your life, you are going to want to know Him more and want to grow, and yet we do see what I think are real believers in, shall we say, bad churches. Or and one even thought because you're a former Catholic, I think there are even a few believers in the Catholic Church, but we would say they can't stay there. Right. And that it would you know they're going to sure. come to a place where they realize. Oh this sure. Is a, you could be in a Mormon church and become a believer. Right, right. Anywhere where the Bible's used, you could become a believer. But but will you stay there? No. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sure you can become a believer in spite of the system. Right. I mean, I wouldn't doubt that in a Roman Catholic right. setting. So to sum up, in a sense, believers in the Old Testament are much were really the same, saved in the same way, so to speak, as those in the New. Yes, it's just a different different environment, a different situation. Uh, growth was obviously somewhat limited and so forth, but um, but the Spirit is the same Spirit. Yes, yes. The, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, you know, He is causing believers wherever they happen to, to live, whatever time they happen to live in, to, you know, be a God lover, to grow in Christ, even though they don't know about Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but to be a God lovers. Right. Yes, that is true. Yeah. I, you know, I think that is a um, common denominator for mm-hmm. believers of all time. All right. Well, that's encouraging. If you have any questions about this topic or any other topics you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts, let us know. You can visit our website at ids.org, or you can contact Jeff directly at... My cell phone number is 480-313-8558, and my email address is Jeff. Excuse me, Volker.jeff at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.